Seth Spins contains mild adult language. The views of the members of this podcast do not reflect the views of Viking Fusion or Viking Fusion staff. Viewer discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome back to Seth Spins. This is Season 3, Episode 4. I'm going to be talking with the one and the only very special guest, Braden Kimbra, a handsome and cool man. We're going to be talking a little bit about just various different things within his musical background but before i get into it i want to go ahead and let him sort of introduce himself let him know like you know major just general musical background that kind of stuff so take the floor you flatter me uh i i told seth before this to address me as handsome and cool um anyways uh yeah i'm Braden kimbrough uh from ponchatoula louisiana freshman here at barry um when you said like major information like do you want me to tell them my major or you just want me to like give them some some fun stuff. I mean, whatever you want to do, whatever you think's a good primer for Braden Kimbra. Uh, so I major in uh, getting that paper. All right. All minor right. in creative writing. Um, yeah. No, I uh, I have a good like. I'd like to think that it's like a varied music taste. I've been playing guitar for about six years now. Um, taking a couple theory courses, just kind of dip my toes in a uh, in the water everywhere musically. Um, really like kind of alternative music. Definitely some of that, like, late 90s indie feel, which is kind of what we're going to be focused on today, that kind of, like, built-to-spill, pavement, mm-hmm. uh, all that. But what I wanted to open with, and uh, we kind of discussed this earlier, was that new Brockhampton track. Yeah, I wanted to go ahead and uh, delve into the new Brockhampton track. After about a two-year hiatus from their last album, Ginger, Brockhampton decided to release a new single, I believe it was yesterday, at the uh, time of recording. Wednesday, so Wednesday? two days yeah. ago, yeah. Um, Buzz Cut with Wednesday, Danny Brown. And it's called Buzz Cut, and it features Danny Brown, who we talked about on Matt Parks' episode. So yeah. go ahead and check that out if you haven't heard it. But it seems like they're going for a return to form for industrial music. Yeah, I would definitely say. We, we talked about it earlier, but um, when Iridescence dropped, which I would say, and you can feel free to disagree with me on this if you want to, is probably the least popular of Brockhampton's album since Saturation. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some people will say All American Trash, but that's more of like a mixtape, so. Yeah. And I don't even consider that like Brockhampton truly because mm-hmm. you had members that left soon after that. Like, it's got a, such a different feel compared to Absolutely. any of their other material. There, there's a lot more latent anger within that album that's yeah. not in any of their other work. Uh, Ginger absolutely had more mainstream appeal, both just by virtue of the sound they were going for, which was much cleaner, much softer. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, it spawned what is arguably their biggest exactly. with Sugar. I was going to say Sugar was such a huge song on TikTok and just a bunch of other platforms that it sort of, it brought them new mainstream appeal that they did not have before. And it simultaneously was able to do that and dispel about half of their fan base. Because I remember at the time Ginger came out, uh, there were tons of positive reviews, but there were tons of fans that were like, this sounds nothing like Heat, this sounds mm-hmm. nothing like Gold. Um, Which I think is a, I mean, it's a fair criticism. You have this band who not only made like this big seminal album that, you know, showcased what they could do as sort of a, you know, post-Odd Future, post-Wu-Tang rap collective, but they did three times. Yeah, you know? I mean, they were doing something that was practically unprecedented with putting out yeah. such quality material back to back to back. And back to back to back, meaning like within the span of a year, they created like over 40 tracks. Oh yeah, easily. That were all very quality and had excellent verses, excellent writing. Excellent you know? production. And like... they're, they're the only group I can think of besides the first Wu-Tang Clan album that I can think of where a rap collective made a legitimately good rap, like, 
you know, collective album, right? Because yeah. th- those don't happen a lot, you know? No. I mean, you have, like, groups. You have, like, a tribe called Quest. You have a couple of others where it's, like, a group of people. But a genuine, like, you know, 10-plus party. Like, you know, and tons I mean, and tons of people. You'll see, um, like, ASAP Mob put out some stuff. I know that mm-hmm. um, Pro Era, which is kind of like Joey Badass, Kirk Knight, all of mm-hmm. them, um, they put out a project a couple years ago. Um, but typically things like that don't have the cohesion of an Absolutely. album. Um, it's a lot more... You know, some throwaway tracks, some fun mm-hmm. stuff, just posse cuts. And they're good, don't get me wrong. There's definitely tracks on all of those that I'll come back to. Um, but there's not really a narrative, a sense of theme, mm-hmm. cohesion. Uh, and Saturations 1, 2, and 3 not only all brought that, but all brought varying degrees of it. Uh, Saturation 1 has a very, like, home-style feel to it that I mm-hmm. feel like was accessible to a lot of people. was a good jumping on spot. Uh, Saturation 2 has a ton of bangers, but also a ton of emotionally vulnerable tracks. When you look at, 100%. like, Sunny or Junkie. Um, Junkie is my favorite track they've ever done. (laughs) It's definitely um, abrasive, but just the intimate nature of each of their verses on that track is just ridiculous. And then Saturation 3, uh, with kind of a more melodic, I would say, approach with songs like Rental and Hottie and Bleach, like... Mm -hmm. I I think I've already sort of made a ranking in my head because I think it's just really interesting to talk about because I think everybody has a ranking if they've listened to Brockhampton a decent amount. Almost definitely. Of like what their favorite song is from each album because it's hard to do because they're they're just so consistent in those first three albums. But I I know for me it was Heat on Saturation 1 is almost a perfect song from a rap collective, 100%. Junkie is my favorite song on 2, although I think that's the shakiest one because there are very quality songs on that. Yeah. Um, Like you you could make the argument for Swamp, Gummy, couple of others um three it's got to be bleach really 100 percent. okay i just think it's 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 very good you know well you're definitely not wrong there i would say for me saturation one's got to be star um mm-hmm. star is just the like it's one liner after one liner just gut mm-hmm. shot after gut shot quintessential right and then saturation two for me is probably swamp um mm-hmm. just because the production on swamp is just it blows my mind every time i hear it and then oh. saturation three is rental um I think it's Alpha Media that did a video on each member's shining moments throughout the Saturation series, and they talk about Matt's role on Rental, mm-hmm. and it's just like, it's ethereal almost. Like, the vocals yeah. on that track are absolutely haunting. That, that verse is very interesting, because I feel like that's exactly the sort of style they took with Ginger. Yeah, And right? they, they basically saw the fan reaction to such a good verse that they were like, let's just make an entire sort of melodic album that's just a little bit more down-tempo, a little bit more, you know, pace. Nicely. Ginger is so lyrically dark. Mm -hmm. Um, The entirety of that album is just, it's incredibly depressing. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's met by some very um, beautiful and atmospheric production on songs like No Halo or songs Mm -hmm. like Big Boy. Um, But it is so depressing when you sit down and actually take the time to dissect the lyrics on that thing. Yeah. Um, But all of this to say that Buzzcut... Very good. Very good. Amazing. I like, and we talked about this earlier, uh, the gravitation away from posse cuts. Yeah. Yeah. how definitely throughout Saturation, uh, we saw, you know, it wasn't atypical for tracks to have four or five members on them. Six. Yeah, yeah. literally just get them all in there, see what we can do. Yeah. Um, but Buzzcut is definitely more linear in its approach. Yeah. You have that initial verse from Kevin Abstract. You have a feature from Danny Brown, which features are also really atypical mm-hmm. um, in the Brockhampton discography. Mm-hmm. Um, and then especially closing... of that profile as well like yeah. they, they've had um ryan Beatty a couple of times they've had jaden smith they he had was Jane on smith. um, um i New can't Orleans. remember her name but on no halo there was a feature as well that was that was dev never dev never that's correct yeah um but of such a high profile yeah to get danny very brown uncommon. well and i appreciate it too because when danny brown put out you know what i'm saying um mm-hmm. it was him having fun 
mm-hmm. as opposed to Triple X and Atrocity Exhibition, which were so like everything is bad, like yeah. just solemn and brooding. Um, it's good to see Danny Brown having fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It makes me feel happy, like holistically, to know that he's in a better place now than what he was. Um, and I feel like, especially that closing part with uh, with uh, Merlin and Joba. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the track too. Yeah, it's beautiful, um, and definitely has me excited for uh, what Roadrunner looks like whenever it comes yep. out. Keep, um, keep on the lookout, you guys, because right? Brockhampton, I think, is coming back. I think they're coming back with like a big mainstream push. Yeah, which they haven't had in a while. And so. the emergence of uh, Kevin Abstract has talked about this in interviews, but wanting to get a reclaim to like that late or like early two thousand Southern rap scene. So mm-hmm. like your ludicrous, your uh, your your boy wonders, um, <laughs> you know all of that. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, works out. So yeah. I'm definitely excited. Really, for that. really excited about the future of Brockhampton. So definitely go listen to Buzzcut if you haven't already. Yes. Um, but I think we're ready to sort of jump into some '90s underground. Um, also on the docket, we have a little bit of talk about internet musicians, uh, yeah. Midwest emo and DIY music. Yeah. And uh, Animal Collective is sort of the spe- specific group that I want to get into at the end. Oh yeah. But um, to Favorite start off, uh, I prepared a question or two. Okay. Um, so following the explosion of grunge music post-Nirvana, the underground alternative rock scene began to sort of flourish. So we had bands like Modest Mouse, Built to Spill and Pavement, sort of begin achieving this like moderate to widespread success, which doesn't usually happen. No, definitely not. Um, both within popular culture, but also within that scene. So what aspects do these bands share among others that cause them to propagate within the music scene? Oh, wow. Um... Yeah, it's interesting examining kind of like the pre-Nirvana and post-Nirvana timelines. Um, that whole Seattle sound explosion where you had your your um, your Nirvanas, your Pearl Jams, your Mother Love Bone, um, all of that, your Temple of the Dog too, um, it was mitigated by like the extremity of it. Um, it was so guttural, so just kind of like, uh, like core feelings of angst and just, we need that fuzz, we need that kick. Um, and it was really interesting to see and then after Kurt Cobain's passing, I think charting the 90s music scene since then is just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously in 94, when Kurt passes, you see a rise of like really accessible like punk music, pop punk. That's when you see the emergence of like Green Day and The mm-hmm. Offspring and like No Effects, um, which is really interesting because I almost feel like things were so brooding Mm-hmm. in the early 90s, that there was a need for something that was a lot more light, mm-hmm. a lot more melodically focused and just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at, like, Dookie by Green Day, or you look yeah. at um, that Offspring album. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I think it's Smash. Yeah, um, like Raid. One's, like, called Rage or something like that? The one with the skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I remember what you're talking yeah. about. Um, like but it was just so fun. Like, like, Nirvana would have never put out, like, a, a basket case or a self-esteem um, but those were songs that I feel like were pinnacle and kind of needed at the time yeah. to process just the extremity of Kurt and Cobain's passing. E- even within the band, they had their own sort of splintering off post-Nirvana. I remember Dave Grohl ended up going into doing the Foo Fighters, which is such a different atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, he, he went from doing drums to doing so much different stuff, but also the tone of his music became much more focused, at least for a while, on desert rock. Um, okay. Going into, like, Queens of the Stone Age doing their drumming, um, sort of just going for more lighthearted, like jam kind of stuff yeah um, so when, there was a lot of splintering in a lot of different directions but absolutely like 90s underground was the biggest yeah influence for sure i know from that. queens of the stone age originally they formed as caius um mm-hmm. and they were kind of like that desert rock stoner metal yep um 
that was kind of emerging in that scene towards the mid and late nineties. But when they had when Caius had broken up and Queens of the Stone Age just started, and they came out with their uh, their self titled and they came out with Rated R, um, mm. it was so just like ZZ Top for the new generation. I almost feel yeah. it had that kind of flair, that kind of um, thriving like those bass lines, just that sense of like serenity and coolness almost. Yeah, um, which I thought was very fascinating. Um, in reference to kind of the emergence of bands like Pavement and Built to Spill and mm-hmm. Modest Mouse, um, I think there's so many fascinating aspects that contribute to the longevity of those projects. Because um, everybody can sit here and talk about, you know, popular 90s albums. Everybody yeah. can talk about, you know, Weezer's Blue album. Absolutely. Everybody can talk about Dookie. Um, Pinkerton or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those albums are amazing. Um, but almost the, the spawn off of like internet culture and Mucor especially mm-hmm. contributed to the longevity of these projects that otherwise were only getting traction in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that Pavement wasn't popular, because I'd th- say of the bands of their caliber, they were definitely the most popular. Absolutely. Um, whenever they put out Cut Your Hair, it had like an amazingly positive reaction in the American Billboard. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll still see like certain radio stations playing it today. Mm-hmm. Um, and for good reason. Cut Your Hair is an amazing song. Mm-hmm. Um, but Stephen Malcolmus's role and influence on the music scene is incredible. I mean, uh, Biba Doobie, one of her more popular songs, mm-hmm. uh, literally references and alludes to Stephen Malcolmus in the title, uh, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because we have popular musicians now that are paying homage to, you know, people of completely different soundscapes and eras. And it's not unsimilar to when we saw the rise of, you know, Kurt Cobain, him paying a little, like, him paying his respects to, you know, Mud Honey. Yeah. Um, things like that where it's like well, musicians, musician music. Like these aren't like massive, you know, groups a lot of the time either, you know. And I know when Matt was on here a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago talking about MF Doom being your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost feel very similarly in how your favorite musicians, favorite musicians, you know, that's where yeah. you get your pavements, that's where you get your built to spills. That influences um, unheralded, and you see it now in modern contemporary music, especially in DIY scenes. Yes, um, and it's so fascinating. But I think a lot of the ways that these bands can be attributed to one another is just the tight circle that they all ran in. Yeah. Uh, the DIY community is many things, um, but one of which, especially, is tight knit. So, Pitchfork actually put out a documentary a couple of years ago about the Lonesome Crowded West by Modest Mouse, which mm-hmm. is an amazing album. Great, album. Um, heavily recommend it. You can't go wrong listening to it. Um, but they interview a bunch of people in that, you know, documentary. And it's crazy seeing the prolific group of people that they were encountering. You know, they were encountering and uh, hanging out regularly with Built to Spill. Um, mm-hmm. They had interactions with Stephen Malcolmus from Pavement. Even Elliot Smith was yeah. like a big Modest Mouse fan and supporter. Um, Just such a weird crossover. <laughs> right? Um, I have my, my thoughts on Elliot Smith, but those are... That's like my hot take of the day is that I think Elliot Smith might be a little overrated. That's fair. I mean, it, he has classic albums, he has non-classic albums, but we can get to that. We can get yeah, to that. We can get to that. Um, so my my second question is just a little bit more personal, but like which of these bands that we mentioned, Modest Mouse, Built to Spill, Pavement, your favorite and why? Oh, Built to Spill. Built to Spill 100%? Love, yeah. Built to Spill 100%. I'm, I'm going to have to go Pavement. Okay, that's that's fair. I think, I think Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain is really good. Crooked, yeah. No, you're definitely right there. Um, I would say Built to Spill, but I think that's primarily because I've seen the way Built to Spill influences other acts. 
Um, and Pavement's influence on bands is unprecedented. You know, I would say Pavement's biggest influence on bands is just the way that Stephen Malcolmus writes lyrics mm-hmm. and the way he presents that kind of like chagrin vocal delivery. He, and not a knock against Malcolmus by any means, but he made it okay to not be an A-caliber vocalist. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm listening to Pavement, I'm not thinking like, wow, Stephen Malcolmus's vocals are really selling this project. Yeah. But it's just like, I feel a sense of connectedness because it's like, this is yeah. just a dude that loves playing music that can write some killer kick-ass lyrics and just have a good time with it. That's kind of that's kind of how I feel about a lot of the 90s underground scene post-Nirvana. Like, Kurt Cobain didn't have a perfect voice. He had a very unique voice. Yeah. That worked really, real, really, really well for the genre he was going for, right? And then you get to Modest Mouse, you get to Build This Bill. They don't have what I would consider to be quote unquote good voices. No, especially Isaac, in Modest Mouse. Isaac Brock from Modest Mouse. I've had so many people I've encountered that are like, I love the instrumentals on Modest Mouse albums. Yeah. They're so good, but why Float does the lead singer sound intro. like that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it definitely takes some time. I, I can remember being 13, 14, listening to Float On, and I was yeah. like, the song is good. Like, it's catchy. But yeah. could they have gotten somebody else to do the vocals? It just sounds like they got some, like, Random. bum off the street to just come in and holler at the mic. Yeah, but that's part of the fun. Yeah. Know? Isaac Brock is, like, an amazingly, like, interesting dude. Um, I saw something where they, like, showed his house, and he's got, like, taxidermized animals all over it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's that a, he's, surprise me. <laughs> he's a quirky dude. I mean, in the opening track of Lonesome Crowded West, he's throwing in allusions to Orange Julius, like, mm-hmm. just going out and, like, getting, I don't know, would you call it a smoothie? I guess Orange Juliuses are, like, kind of smoothie-esque. Something like but that. But it's like, who would do that, like, in their most critically acclaimed album, just be like, yeah, let's throw in this reference to, like, some random beverage that you can go get. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the excellent I mean, Travis Scott did it on Astro World, so really anything's possible. <laughs> the the point we're trying to make is that Travis Scott is a new modest mouse. Yeah, yeah, Sicko yeah. Mode Jamba Juice lines are the new wave. I would argue that a 90210 is the new float on. Um, <laughs> I think that's a solid argument. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, is there anything else you want to say about 90s Underground? Because we've only really delved into the surface. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about Built to Spell a bit more. Go for it. Um, I really like the current DIY scene. Um, well, current is such a dilapidated term for a bunch of bands that have broken up a handful of years ago at this point. Uh, but, like, if you were to go back five-ish years when you had kind of, like, you had your modern baseballs and you had your jank and sorority noise, um, killer bands releasing killer albums, really redefining what it meant to be a DIY musician in a lot of aspects. Um, but Built to Spill's influence is the one that I always felt was the most prevalent, uh, especially in Jank's discography. So Jank was only around for two years maybe Mm -hmm. um they released an ep and they released an album um both of which in my opinion incredible releases i would say awkward pop songs is probably one of if not my favorite albums um Mm -hmm. but one of the tracks when it's spilt to bill um is obviously that direct illusion but built to spill is way they incorporated breakdowns in their music um the willingness to throw in tempo changes the willingness to just have fun Mm -hmm. and that kind of ethos of just you know what Make it weird. Make it eccentric, because there's nothing bad about having an interesting song, but there's so many, thing bad, so many things wrong about having a bad song or a boring song. I Absolutely. would rather, and I mean this sincerely, uh, I would rather sit down and listen to a bad song that is interesting than listen to a great song that is just boring me out of my mind. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I would say Built to Spill, especially their run in the 90s when they put out There's Nothing Wrong With Love, Perfect From Now On, and Keep It Like a Secret. Um, None of those albums miss, in my opinion. 
Um, they're one of few 90s bands that I really think had just the perfect, you know, run. Uh, I would say if you want a more popular group that also does something really good, the Smashing Pumpkins 90s put out, yeah. perfect, in my opinion Absolutely. at least. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Um, is it Siamese Dream? Siamese Dream, yeah. Yeah, and those are both Gish. great albums. They put out Gish in 91, which I yeah. think is also good. So they have excellent 90s output that is definitely worth checking out. Yeah, for if sure. If you've heard, like, Cherub Rock or something. Like, there's, there's you know, you, you can really delve into it. Well, and kind of going back to the, the point we made earlier, Billy Corgan, not necessarily a great vocalist, but a very unique vocalist. Mm -hmm. um, there aren't many musicians and vocalists I think could replicate his kind of, like, nasally screeching. No. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it plays and pairs so well with, like, the... Uh, I would almost say, like, the dialed-down versions of, like, shoegaze that they attempted they, to go for. They go for a really interesting mix of, like, shoegaze and dream pop. Yeah. Which is still rock somehow. I don't know how they do it. It's like if you gave a little bit more aggressiveness to, like, a My Bloody Valentine song. Yeah. yeah. Um, With a little less room, a little less vacuum. Yeah, a little less reverb on it, but... Yeah. Uh, amazing nonetheless. Tremolo or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then we were talking about Modest Mouse too, which Modest Mouse's uh, output at the time, amazing. Um, Lonesome Crowded West, really good. The Moon in Antarctica, yeah. uh, also really good. Wild Pack of Family Dogs, I think, is probably one of my favorite songs of theirs in general. Um, and it's not atypical for their discography, but it's one of those more short, sweet acoustic songs, which is ironically enough what I find myself gravitating the most towards out of the output in that scene. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite uh, Built to Spill song is Twin Falls, which is a little over a minute and a half long, uh, primarily just acoustic driven. But it's such a catchy and engaging song, and the songwriting on it is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, just telling the story of kind of like growing up, moving out of your kind of like podunk bum town, um, but then realizing the, the downtrodden effects that, that has. It's talking about adolescent love and kind of having to move past that. Um, and seeing other people move on and grow up similarly to how you did and understanding that uh, you couldn't have that effect on their lives because you weren't there anymore, but the prospect of moving on to a better future for yourself was worth that. Um, so I, I, I love Built to Spill. Uh, I think they're absolutely incredible. Uh, I think they tackled a wide variety of things throughout the 90s. Um, There's Nothing Wrong with Love, which is probably my favorite of those three records. Um, fun songs, intimate songs, perfect from now on. Uh, almost post-rock leaning in some aspects. It's eight songs and about 56 minutes long. Um, so you're you're in it for the long haul. And then keep it like a secret. Swan's Light. <laughs> Swan's Light. Uh, Swan's. Michael Gira. Interesting yep. time. Yeah. Um, but then uh, Keep It Like a Secret had all the bangers on it. That's where you get your, uh, that's where you get your uh, Carry the Zero. That's where you get The Plan. Just mm -hmm. your, your classic concert staples. So, so you would say for somebody who's wanting to get into Built This Bill, that's the album to go into. Yeah, start with Keep It Like a Secret. Um, and then di diverge from there. Get your flowchart going from there. Yeah. yeah. If you need flowcharts, the internet has you covered. Yeah. I can't tell you how many artists that I've gotten into sincerely. From, from flowchart. From message boards and flowcharts, right? Yeah. Mucor kind of stuff. Literally. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Mucor is inherently kind of gross, I would say. It is. <laughs> if you've ever been on 4chan message boards, you kind of want to stab your eyes out. Um, but... There's so much amazing music that circulates, like, you know, a band like Ween wouldn't get popular, you mm -hmm. know, in any sense in a popular and commercial country. <laughs> well, yeah, without the SpongeBob movie. Um, which is so interesting that SpongeBob, like, as a show, is completely interested and shaped around like the mollusk. You remember the Pantera one? I don't know if I do. There, there, is a, <laughs> there is a SpongeBob episode that has a Pantera song, which I just, it's one of my favorite things. Interesting. But, um, yeah, 
creator of SpongeBob was literally like, you know, I was listening to The Mollusk by Ween. Yeah, and I like, was like, okay. yeah, it's like cool. Ocean I mean, that's Man, on brand, but like. Yeah, Ocean Man is now synonymous with SpongeBob, which yeah. I think is fascinating. Um, good song. Good song. But Ween has some, like, some classic albums between mm-hmm. The Mollusk, Quebec, um, Chocolate and Cheese. Yeah. Like, but th- that wouldn't exist without the internet. Absolutely. Like, there's so many... Like, odd... early internet, too. I don't think it would have been the same late internet. No. Like, when you get your, your message boards and when you get that kind of, like... It's really the AOL era of internet mm-hmm. that was just pushing and peddling like, for all of these things. early 2005 to 2010 forum posting kind of stuff. Like, Absolutely. you know, IRC chat. Like, that kind of internet is where that would really flourish. Well, and the effects of it are long-lasting. I mean, the Arctic Monkeys blew up off mm-hmm. of forum posts in 2006, yeah. um, and they've become a staple of, like, popular rock music for the greater part of a decade now. Yeah, I mean, they, they saw what the Strokes were doing, and they were like, I want to be one of them. Yeah, Alex Turner the song said, I want to like, be one of them, and then they did. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and arguably became more popular. Uh, not better, but more popular. Yeah, that, that's another. Absolutely. I don't know if that's a hot take. That's that's a freezing cold take in this room. That is a freezing cold. The take. Strokes are one of my favorite bands, so fair. I fair. can make that argument. Um, that's like one of those arguments that like would get you crucified back in 2013. Though. Absolutely, but now I think you can make the, the argument. I that's mean, the cool. new Abnormal was excellent. Oh, the new Abnormal was amazing. Yeah. Um, and like, you remember when they had that reemergence of like folk rock revival in the late 2000s, early 2010s, when you had your Mumford and Sons, and you had your your Fleet Foxes and your Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Yeah, like the, that like folk singer-songwriter kind of stuff. Yeah, that wouldn't exist without message boards. Absolutely. It, it was literally Robin Pecknell to Fleet Foxes yeah. shopping around demos until he was able to get a, a record producer in Seattle to work Yeah, with I mean, I, I remember reading up about um, Fleet Foxes sort of beginnings because I was talking about them on one of my earliest uh, episodes of the podcast. And it was interesting to read that for their initial EP, Sun Giant, um, which has like one of their biggest songs, Mykonos, um, they had like a 500 LP, like one time run at a concert to like showcase their band. And yeah. from that they blew up, oh, which yeah. is ridiculous to think about. That would never happen. No, no. you but would never just... do that. And that was in 2008. Yeah. 2008 was so, Sun Giant. So really 2009 late. was when the, when the self-titled came they, out. They, they, were, they went right under the gun. Like, <laughs> I don't think they could have done that a year later. No, and which, don't get me wrong, like, if you want a, a good folk rock revival band to listen to, uh, I would take Fleet Foxes over Mumford & Sons. Yeah, no, easily. Uh, and, you know, Mumford & Sons, they have some good songs. I think Thompson Square Park is an amazing track. Yeah. Um, but just do yourself a favor and listen to the first two Fleet Foxes albums. Yeah. You can listen to the third and fourth. They're also very good. I, I want to I do some recommendations before we get into the next question. Oh, absolutely. I, there's a lot of platform for that, I think. I'll do the yeah. same as well. Cause... Um, so for me, there were a couple that I wrote down right here. But um, for Fleet Foxes, first of all, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think they're one of the best folk artists going on right now. Mm-hmm. They just have really great stuff, along with Father John Misty, who was initially part of the band. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm also we... doing great stuff with, like, Pure Comedy as an album. Excellent oh, yeah. work. I Love You, Honey Bear. I Love You, Honey Bear, which I think is an excellent album as well. Yeah. Maybe better. That's a hot take. That is a hot take, but I would it's agree. It's really good. I, I feel like maybe not better, more but so much more accessible. More yeah, accessible. so much more accessible. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, Fleet Fox's work is great. I would really recommend listening to Helplessness Blues. Uh, the best one. Um, Fleet Fox is self-titled. Um, sure is their new album yeah. uh, very, very good. Yeah. Sun Blind is one of my favorite songs of the Ooh. last year. I really like Jara. I yeah, Jara is really probably my too. favorite off of yeah. Sure. Um, as for, we talked a little bit about the overrated factor of, oh, what's his name? Uh, either or XO. Uh, Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith. 
And uh, I think Either Or is an album that people should listen to if they want to see if they're interested or not. Oh, yeah, and don't get me it's, wrong. Because it's right in between his two eras. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, listen to something like Between the Bars. Oh, yeah. And if you Easily. enjoy that kind of music, that really breathy, like, close to the mic, like it's a podcast, like, guitar and a singer kind of music, yeah. if you enjoy that, I think you'll like it. Well, and I would say if you enjoy that, too. Um, some of the really early Sufjan Stevens material. Mm-hmm. So if you look at listen to that Seven Swans album, very akin to kind of what Elliot Smith was doing. Also mm-hmm. really good. Uh, and I don't want to get it twisted. I think Elliot Smith is a great musician. Absolutely. Uh, I just think um, he was kind of given too much credit. Uh, and I'll delve into why when I tackle he's, some later. He's given musicians. a lot of credit. That's for sure. I don't know if it's too much. It'll be interesting to hear, but he's given a lot of credit. Absolutely. And I, I like his work with Heat Miser a lot as well. Mm. When he was with I, Heat I'm Miser. actually not super familiar with that work. I've heard of Heat Miser and his involvement, but I haven't actually delved into it. it at it's all. borderline grunge slash post grunge. Um, Interesting. Yeah. For, and Elliot, Elliot Smith. And, well, and that's why he left from that Heat Miser, was he was like, you know, I've always been more comfortable with that kind of like softer acoustic mm. melody stuff. And, and you Heat would Miser, really think that. <laughs> yeah, but Heat Miser, it's a good listen. Like, I would say if you enjoy Elliot Smith, if you're looking to dive deeper into his discography, Heat Miser is definitely worth checking out. Yeah, and then for my last one, this is more directed at you in particular, but oh. I think anybody who's listening to the podcast would be interested as well, because um, this kind of goes within Midwest as well as 90s Underground. It's sort of right in that pocket. Okay. Um, the Dismemberment Plan. Mm. Um, I think Emergency and I is an incredible album that's yeah. really often overlooked. Yeah. Um, it's one of my personal favorite album covers of all time. Oh, it's a good cover. For some random reason, I just love the graphic design on it that. It gives me Quasimodo vibes, Yeah, honestly. the Unseen kind of stuff. Yeah, with just, yeah. like, colorful, like, abstract shapes. Very computery looking. Yeah. Um, but, like, You Are Invited is the song I would say to recommend. And it's not, like, the biggest song on the album or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Memory Machine is probably, like, what I would actually recommend. Or, like, What Do You Want Me To Say or something like that. Yeah. Um, but You Are Invited is just a really interesting experimental late 90s song. Yeah, I've definitely like, heard some of the Dismemberment Plan, but uh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to give that full album a listen. If yeah, you're Gyroscope. Doing, if you're doing recommends, uh, do you yeah. have any more? Because I don't want to Th- Those are the three off. I had. Gotcha. Um, I've been doing this thing, and I know I told you about it a while ago, where I listen to a new album every day, mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of been like my, my journey that I've been doing. I started in like mid-January, so it's been going yeah. on for about two and a half months and now. And you've been... You've been Keeping up on that? I've been doing keeping up on it, um, but there have definitely been a handful uh, that I really enjoyed, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. list off all of them because, you know, we don't have go time ahead, for that. Go ahead, um, But I would say, well, it feels bad because I already mentioned a lot of them. Um, <laughs> but if you want something really good and akin to late 90s, especially if you're into kind of Neutral Milk Hotel and whatever okay. Elliot, or not Elliot, Elephant, uh, Elephant 6, that record label was doing at the time, Cherry Peel by Of Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Of Montreal's kind of gained some... some credit lately with kind of influencing that kind of indie pop blow up in the late 2000s. Um, if you listen to Cherry Peel, it's such an eccentric and quirky album. Mm. Uh, it really does feel like Neutral Milk Hotel light, uh, but it's so fun and playful. Like, Everything Disappears When You Come Around is a beautiful song. Uh, there's some really tongue-in-cheek ones like Tim, I Wish You Were Born a Girl. Um, mm. It's just super kind of quirky, fun, off the wall. Um, definitely worth worth your time. Um I would say too, and these aren't necessarily 90s albums, um, but There's Nothing Wrong With Love, which I talked about earlier, is amazing. Um, Lonesome Crowd of West, also amazing. Um, hmm. Shepherd in a Sheepskin Vest, because we talked about folk. Um, mm-hmm. Bill Callahan, an amazing folk singer-songwriter. Shepherd in a Sheepskin Vest, I want to say is two years old. Beautiful album. 
Uh, it's so simple with the instrumentation, and Bill Callahan doesn't have a singer's voice either, mm -hmm. uh, but his storytelling is so riveting and engaging to where I feel like if you enjoy Fleet Foxes, if you enjoy you know, your Mumford & Sons or your Sufjan Stevens, you'll find something to enjoy on Shepherd and the Sheep, Sheepskin Vest as well. Yeah. Um, and then the last one I'll kind of throw out there, um, and it took me a while to get into this record, actually. It was one of the ones I listened to initially and had a negative reaction to. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's... Uh, you, you revisited it for the, the year. It just clicked one day, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I was sitting in my room with the lights off after, like, a, a difficult day, mm -hmm. and I was just like, you know what? It all makes sense now. Uh, gotta find the title. Astro World. <laughs> Astro, right? Um, no bystanders came on and... Can't Say came yeah. on, and Don Tolliver's verse just made me feel <laughs> something that I had never felt before. Uh, no, it is... Let me see. We I can hear... There it is. I can hear the heart beating as one by Yola Tango. Because mm -hmm. I always confuse it with I can feel the heart beating as one, which is not the title of that album, and mm -hmm. I didn't want to mess it up. Yeah, I haven't um, gotten into Yola Tango, but I have heard of that album. It's like seminal college rock, but the story behind the band is super interesting because they formed in the mid to late 80s because uh, husband and wife met in college and they kind of like kicked off this really cool like, you know, lo-fi, uh, not like lo-fi like study beats, but like mm -hmm. low fidelity, yeah. um, just like fun band. Um, I would say Center of Gravity, the closing track on that album is beautiful. Um, yeah, it's just a really solid listen. It's so comforting, I guess mm -hmm. is the best way to describe it. So if you have time to check out I Can Hear the Heart Beating as one, I would definitely recommend yeah. it. Yeah, those are those are excellent recommendations. And the, and the idea of listening to a new album for a year is, is just very interesting. It's harrowing. I, yeah. I It's a commitment that I didn't realize I was signing myself up for. That's, you know, that could be anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes to two hours. Oh, yeah. Well, it started one day I was at work, and I was like, you know what? I've never really given the Beach Boys the time of oh, day. Do you want me to throw you a really short one that you could do for a day? Oh, go for it. Mother Earth's Plantasia. I already heard it. Oh, so good, Isn't though. Isn't it great? Mort Garson is just, like, yeah. killer. 30 minutes. Worth your time. Beautiful. Beautiful yeah. instrument. That's all I have album. to say on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's all you really need to, to know. Said. Plant music. It's great. Plant music. Um, so I have a bunch of notes here, but I think I'm going to go off script a little bit. So it's going we're off gonna, script. We're going to talk about internet musicians a little bit, but I think, I mean, I've covered that before on the podcast a okay. little bit. And I think where we could really get a good riff going is about Mucor. I think that that's, oh, that's important. Yeah. You've got to talk. If you're going to talk about internet musicians, you have to talk about this list that a bunch of random people made. And it's so crazy how the general consensus was formed and centered around yeah. things that are incredibly different. Uh, yeah. Mucor being able to find a group of people that will simultaneously or like recommend to you Nick Cave and Death Grips yeah. is it, very interesting. Could not be more different. Right? Um also both really good but both really good but everybody agrees yeah it's weird um so so i want i want to preface by saying this i think if we're talking about mucor you have to go ahead and say that this is going to be centric toward a white male audience oh yeah <laughs> absolutely it, it, it's not going to resonate with everyone but it's still an important list to talk about because it has influenced indie music since well that's influenced 100%. And it's paid homage to aspects of, of hip-hop culture, which, yeah, definitely yeah, super hip -hop white male well, audience. But, like, it's, it's definitely a narrower audience than just everyone. Yeah. But I still think there's so much to love about it from everybody. Yeah, I you mean... You just have to divorce it from what it came from a little bit. Yeah. I would definitely, it is a real influence. I would definitely say, um, and we can talk about Animal Collective especially. This yeah. might be the perfect point to bring that up, because yeah. Meriwether Post Pavilion might be the most... Mucor centric album, mm -hmm. um, definitely one of them at least, because you you have your in your in the airplane over the seas, mm -hmm. um, you have your trout mask replica mm -hmm. by Captain Beefheart, Matt's Loveless. pumping his fists, um, 
Yeah, Loveless. Okay, computer. Oh, yeah. Kid but, A. Yeah. Uh, if you can believe it, the, the white male audience on 4chan loves them some Radiohead. Yeah. Um, they've yeah. never felt the touch Hard of a woman, believe. but they have felt the touch of that sweet, sweet 180-gram vinyl. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion by Animal Collective. Um, I think it paints such an interesting picture and such a seminal work for its time. So it's 2009. We're starting to see the blow-up of the indie pop era. Mm-hmm. Um, and Animal Collective, up to this point, had been a relatively abstract band. Um, you know, they'd have live show performances where you'd see A.B. Tear and Panda Bear just going absolutely apeshit mm-hmm. on drum kits and just, like, screaming into mics, getting as much feedback as possible. Um, and even with the release of their first project, Spirit They're Gone, Spirit They Vanished, um, I still, and I'll be honest with you, I cannot sit down and listen to that album front to back. It is so harsh. Um, the noise on that album is ridiculous, and there are some beautiful cuts on it. Alvin Rowe is a super popular song, but you have to go in with the expectation that you're going to leave that album with a migraine headache. Yep. Like, it is it is painful. Um, but all of this to say that we saw an abstract and experimental band tackle indie pop mm-hmm. and pull it off with such relative ease. It became their most popular album. Easily. Uh, My Girls is still their most My popular Girls is, single. It's a huge hit. And it goes so hard. Um, mm-hmm. amazing song. Five and I, a half minutes? I still can't describe how that song goes. It's it's like this weirdly layered cut that's like... I, how do you explain the the process of making that song? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's it's not at all what you'd expect any song to sound like. No, it feels it like... It feels like um, if you were to take, like, Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space by Spiritualized mm-hmm. and somehow, like, cross it over with, like... I don't know, what would be, like, the big indie pop song of, like, the late 2000s? Like, Safe and Sound by Capital Cities? <laughs> Capital like, Cities. that's where you get the cross. It's spiritualized meets Capital Cities, and it's yeah. beautiful. For, like, fun. Yeah, <laughs> right? Safe and Sound. Uh, like which I, I have a lot of love in my heart for that kind of quirky oh, early 2010s. I mean, like that's what we grew pop. up on. Oh, yeah. You know? I, me- I remember being at a jump park and listening to Capital Cities, and I think that was my biggest peak. <laughs> right not gonna lie. or like uh what is it um little talks by monsters and men mm-hmm. i think you can make any song better by adding horns to it absolutely Honestly. a horn section can really make it <laughs> brass instruments go hard man yeah. um but the point of this <laughs> circling back um tackling a genre that you're not incredibly familiar with having it pay off in such dividends uh, and then having it be popularized and i think that's why it was popularized by mute core i think they had their little baby animal collective and it was like all oh, these quirky oddballs that'll make like weird music and just scream and have fun mm-hmm. um and it was like hey they did something popular um and they kind of fostered a love and an adoration for them for being able to convert to a mainstream audience without losing their grasp mm-hmm. i think a lot of people talk about mgmt yeah. as being you know too quirky for the mainstream and that was kind of deliberate they in, had in some cases well because they had you know time to pretend and they had kids, kids and electric feel yeah. the big three uh, the seminal ones that kind of blew up Oracular Spectacular and launched them into the forefront of popular and music. And then they had two albums come out after that didn't really catch. Well, and because... Um, in ma- in the mainstream. Congratulations is actually an excellent album. My favorite MGMT album, honestly. Yes. Andrew Van Wingard uh, literally was like, we hate being popular, mm-hmm. so we're going to go back to our roots. We're going to go back to that spiritualized. We're going to go back to that Brian Eno yeah. approach. Um, and we're going to make the most off-the-cuff, off-the-wall stuff. And then they stopped doing that. And then they stopped. They, they made they Little, Dark, to Little Age, Dark Age. And, and they said, we're just going to make pop again, and it's really good. It's amazing. Uh, they were able to make, in 2018, a goth wave song that somehow became a viral TikTok 
song. It's, it's a really good song. Oh, it's amazing. Little Dark Age is incredible. I would say, you don't have a bad track on that album. She no, works don't. out too much for what you open with. Fun, yeah. lively. Time spent looking at my phone, really good. Me and when Michael? When you die? Me and Michael? Oh my gosh, don't even let me start. So my roommate... Uh, my senior year of high school, his name was Michael, and mm-hmm. we were actually in a band together for a while. And when me and Michael dropped and came out, well, I hadn't met him at that point, but when mm-hmm. I had met him and we were living together, I would play me and Michael so regularly. That's awesome. Uh, so, like, every time I hear that, I think of him. That's awesome. That's that's a great story. <laughs> but my point in saying this, and I'm trying to, like, keep it as concise as possible. Very good. But I think Animal Collective truly is what people prescribe the label of MGMT as being, where it was, like, a band that was able to reach popular success and really dipped out of it because they wanted to be themselves. And not to say that Animal Collective ever went back to doing what they were doing before Meriwether Post, because I don't think they have. Um, but I would say Congratulations is still more accessible than 80% of Animal Collective's discography. 100%. Um, they, have, I, they have a 12-minute song on there called, is it Siberian Breaks? Yeah. And that's more accessible than a lot of Animal Collective. And Siberian Breaks is probably my favorite MGMT song. It's, it's, yeah. it's a journey. It's beautiful. Dude. Um, but... I remember, and like, I love Animal Collective. They're my favorite band. Um, Good choice. Yeah. But, like, Sung Tongs, Campfire mm-hmm. Songs. Strawberry Jam? Ah, oh, Strawberry Jam. No. Strawberry Jam. Like, all of it's so quirky and off the cuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember I saw those Mucor charts, and I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to Meriwether Post Pavilion. And I yeah. could not get past In the Flowers. Like, I could not get past the opening song. And I tried to get into Animal Collective for years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not doing it. And then one right. day, I was like... And one, well, I wasn't even with Meriwether Post. It was with Sung Tongs. I was sitting down, and I was listening to Sung Tongs, and Leaf House came on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And then Who Could Win a Rabbit came on, and I flipped my shit. And I was like, this is amazing. This and is I good. listened to all of Sung Tongs, loved all of it. Mm-hmm. Still probably a top five album for me to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, it makes sense now. And yeah. I think that's where you have to like have your liberties with Mucor Charts. Um, some of those albums are going to click with you immediately because they're designed to do that, and yeah. some of them are not. Like, I think, okay, computer, you're going to like it if you like it. You know, yeah. That'll happen pretty quickly. I think Loveless, it'll happen pretty quickly if you like it. You will know within the first lift drum your, fill on lift Loveless. Lift Your Skinny Fist to Heaven mm. by Godspeed You Black Emperor is going to take a minute. <laughs> it's going to it's gonna take a while. You know, it's, 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 there's a range that you're going to have to work with. You don't just get into To Be Kind by Swans. Yeah. You don't. You have to, Oxygen's you have to not going to hit on first. No. <laughs> Ah. Listen, um, but yeah, I, I want to go ahead and transition because we're running a little low on time. Oh no! Because um, we're having an excellent conversation. Excellent um, conversation. To Midwest emo and DIY, but I think Midwest emo is really where we're we're gonna mine a lot of content out of. Yeah. Um, talking a little bit about you know bands like freaking American football, you know that's yeah. sort of the the poster child in a lot of circles, and they're not the best. Well, no, but you can also just prescribe internet culture. How much of a meme is never meant nowadays? 100%. 100% a meme. But, uh, but can... also, my, my personal favorite Midwest emo is Sunny Day Real Estate. Oh. I think they're they're great. It's also one of my favorite album covers. Which one? The Diary? Yeah, Diary. Oh, yeah. That's just excellent. So when I was doing my first my album a day, the second day, the album what I, that I listened to was What It Feels Like to Be Everything On by mm. Sunny Day Real Estate. And, and Pillars is just beautiful. Um what is it, guitar and video games on that one? Mm-hmm. Amazing. I think, and I'll be completely honest, um, Sunny Day Real Estate is one of my favorite Midwest emo bands to talk about mm-hmm. because of Jeremy Enoch's weird path that he took in the late 2000s. Oh, yeah? So I'm not actually familiar. Oh, uh, 
dude, it's, it's incredible. So Sunny Day Real Estate blows up. 94, they release Diary, mm -hmm. um, becomes a pretty popular and accessible album and really launches yeah. that Midwestern emo sound. They, they hit that in between that we talked about earlier with underground music where you have like mainstream success and also underground. Because I would argue that music is more than anything. It's not about talent. It's not even as much about marketing. It's about timing. Yeah. You got to be there right place, right time. And yeah. I think it's actually calculated. Like you can calculate it. You got to be think Fleet Foxes in 2008 handing out 500 limited records but so diary blows up becomes really you know popular standing album um how it feels to be everything on not as popular but they're still able to keep with their niche following mm -hmm. in the process in recording their third album jeremy enoch has this crazy kind of like mental breakdown just mm -hmm. loses it quits the band kind of like goes off on his own and has a uh he becomes a born-again christian Mm -hmm. um, which is such an interesting trajectory. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the antithesis of 90s culture, where Absolutely. I feel like you think about the angst of the 90s, especially in that scene, it's like a bunch of people like disbarring like their, their home style, hometown beliefs. Yeah. Uh, and Jeremy Enoch was just like, I need to like find a spiritual calling. Yeah, become in tune with my faith. Which, I mean, you know, more power to him. But okay. that's how we get what I think is comparable to, and this is another hot take, because uh, the internet loves to talk about In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, and they mm -hmm. love to talk about uh, The Glow Part 2 by mm -hmm. Microphones. Yeah. Uh, Return of the Frog Queen by Jeremy Enoch might be better than both of those albums. That's fair. It is orchestral. It is hauntingly beautiful. Uh, it's pretty short listen, I think a little under 30 minutes, and Enoch's song telling and story writing on it is just impeccable. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you mentioned those two albums. I'm just diverting a little bit here. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned those two albums, In the Aeroplane, Over the Sea, and The Glow Part 2, which are two of the biggest albums on the Mucor chart. Oh, yeah, and they definitely tackle and prescribe that kind of, like, eccentric folk pop. Yeah, which, folk. which was the pocket when that was created. That was yeah. the indie pocket. Um, and I think In the Aeroplane, Over the Sea, it's, it's the big poster child. Oh, yeah. It's the big album that people prescribe. And I think for good reason. Yeah. It's a really accessible concept album. It's surreal while also being super popular. Yeah, you uh, can listen to it and it's like gonna make sense, you know. The history and the story behind the album is arguably more encapsulating than the album itself. Yeah, and I, I not see the reason, you know. I don't think it's the best album of all time. No, I by far. Say. I, I mean, would definitely say though, like, it's a beautiful album. You can make but but the reason I say that is I think you can make a better case for the Glow Part Two. Okay. I think it's I think it's a better album. I think it's got more to it. I just think it's it's much closer to what I would describe as like one of the best albums. This feels it's not my personal favorite or anything. Yeah. I mean I'm not a huge Mount Erie kind of guy. Yeah. But I, I do appreciate it and I get why people think it's really, really good. Because it's it's so atmospheric. It's so, you know, <laughs> steeped in environmental motifs, which is also in in the aeroplane over the sea a lot. Yeah. But I, I, I can totally see it there. I would argue that in the aeroplane over the sea versus the glow part two is Mucor's equivalent of Blue Album versus Pinkerton. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're functionally identical in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, but no, Midwest Emo, to kind of circle back to it, because I, I love getting sidetracked. Yeah. Um, incredibly interesting genre. Uh, Captain Jazz, which became one of the four standing runners of the genre, um, was literally, they recorded uh, their like only album because they went to the forest, took hallucinogenics, and then were just like, let's make weird-ass songs. Uh, and it panned out incredibly well for them, made them kind of forefathers of the genre. Uh, you get your bands like Mineral and Braid um, that kind of continue on the functional harmonies of Midwest Emo and kind of offset into, like, math rock. Mm -hmm. So you get your Don Caballeros, and you get your, um, what is it? 
can't think of the name off the top of my head. No, you're good. Um, uh, just kind of filling some gaps while you're thinking about it. Um, math rock is a really interesting genre that I believe I've mentioned earlier, but if I've not, it's this concept of rock that primarily concerns time signatures. Yeah. And especially, like, weird time signatures. So if you have a band, instead of playing in, like, common 4-4 four, four, or 5-4 measures, you have, like, this guitarist or something that's like, I'm going to play 9-16 or something ridiculous. You yeah. Know, that's extremely hard to do in your head, but they do it because... It, it makes that music inherently more unique and more interesting, and you can just have these really interesting, never-been-done-before uh, chords and stuff like that, you know? Um, the uh, the album that I was thinking of, I just got it, Spiderland by Slint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is huge, another one of those huge Mucor albums. Huge Mucor album. Um, but yeah, that entire 90s uh, DIY Midwest emo-slash-math-rock scene um, contributed so much to... Um, what I think arguably is the crux of where we're at currently, which is the DIY musician nowadays. Um, because I think now is the easiest time to be a musician. I think now is the easiest time to understand how to capitalize off of the internet. Mm-hmm. You had your Arctic Monkeys that did it. You had your Fleet Foxes that did it. But things like that were one in a thousand. You yeah. have artists nowadays. Brock Hampton can meet on a you know Kanye forum mm-hmm. and become one of the most popular music acts, especially in the underground. In terms of bands, one of the most popular bands, most people are just artists now, like one-off people. Yeah, know? I was going to talk about a Car Seat Headrest mm-hmm. and Will Toledo. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know... If you're talking about DIY music, that's that's a big one. It's as DIY as it gets, literally mm-hmm. recording albums and Twin- vocals in the back seats of his car. an album again. Yeah, just kind of throwing musical practices to the side. Yeah. Uh, Twin Fantasy, beautiful album. And then he does it again, and it's arguably better, depending on who you ask. Yeah, uh, you if, if the people have, like, objective taste. Do you, taste, do you have an opinion on that? So, so basically what happened was he records this album in 2011, called Twin Fantasy, and it's this, it's this huge success in the underground music scene. It's, Band like, camp you know, incredible, great, you know, 10 out of 10, whatever. And then in 2018, he decides to re-record it because, is I'm, if I'm correct, he's just wanting to re-record it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Will Toledo's views on music is that it's never a uh, finished product. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I think is a healthy mindset. Yeah, I think it's actually probably an approach that I wish that more people would take. Mm-hmm. Um, Life of Pablo by Kanye being a huge example of this. Yeah, one. yeah. Um, and Will Toledo is essentially like, I'm going to re-record this entire album for Matador because when he recorded it on his own, he wasn't signed to a label at the time. Um, rework it, rewrote some of the lyrics, got a lot cleaner and tighter with the production, uh, made some creative choices on certain tracks, and I think arguably worked out for the best. Uh, the internet loves that album. They loved the re-release for the most part. You, you'll find your neckbeards on 4chan that will argue that the 2011 version is better. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, those people can have that. It's not... You know, I have, I have my $500 headphones, and I can tell that, you know, they lost a guitar note or something you know yeah that kind of stuff so it for for almost anyone it's not gonna matter yeah you know um and then teens of denial when it came out in 2016 you saw car seat headrest playing on jimmy fallon yeah um you launched uh the internet's musician the person that could go on Bandcamp. they could drop these albums they could make it work and it was just there um Mm -hmm. and the one that i really am so deeply encapsulated by is alex g Mm -hmm. um love 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 alex g uh, and this is where I get to my real hot take, the one that's going to set the room on fire. I think right. Alex G is better than Elliot Smith. Oh, that, 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 that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. My reasoning for that is that Alex Smith is such a diverse singer-songwriter, um, whereas I feel like Elliot Smith's material, for the most part, is rather akin to itself. Okay. Um, I always say Alex Smith could have wrote Between the Bars, or Alex Smith. Um, Alex, Smith. Alex G, yeah, my favorite. Uh, no. uh, Alex G could have wrote Between the Bars. I don't think Elliot Smith could make an axe deal. Or could make a southern sky, yeah. like, and granted, um, who's to say that if 
Elliot Smith were still around, that wouldn't be within his realm of capability. Um, but Alex G's like surreal approach to songwriting, his oddball production choices. Mm-hmm. Um, another great album that I could recommend is uh, his most recent one, House of Sugar. Mm-hmm. A beautiful track. I got into him off of his 2014 release DSU, or his 2014 re-release of DSU. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a guy that was putting out multiple albums every year for multiple years um, until he finally was able to get a record deal. I would think it was Orchid Tapes was agreeing to put out some of his stuff. He's currently on Domino, which is a really good record label. They had Animal Collective mm-hmm. for a while. I think they had Franz Ferdinand. Mm-hmm. Um, Take Me Out is such a good song. Right? Just right. throwing that out there. But we've finally gotten to an era where you don't need anyone but yourself and your confidence and your abilities. Alex Smith, I'm going to say it so many times, aren't I? Alex Smith. <laughs> it's just to refer to both of them at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, white guy, first, last name. Um, mm-hmm. No. Uh, Alex G literally was sitting there, you know, with his laptop, not even with production equipment that was highbrow, um, just recording songs as he came up with them. And the amount of unreleased stuff you can find of his on the internet is ridiculous, uh, which kind of oddly circles back to Brockhampton that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. where the time that Saturation was put out, there were so many demos and cuts of albums and posse cuts that had additional features, mm-hmm. and they, for the most part, all really good. Yeah. Um, you finally were able to get to a point where quality and quantity didn't have to be interchangeable for the internet musician because everything was accessible to them nowadays. Yeah. No, you, can, you can have access to a high-caliber recording program, you know, digital audio workstation. I mean, they have their own in-house producers, multiple, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, they're able to put out whatever they want from All-American Trash, which they made in, like, 2016. Yeah, I think so. Um, Their demos in, like, 2015 and 2014, all the way up to now, where it's like, I mean, obviously they'd have access now, but, like, they still use their in-house producers and all that kind of stuff, so why would they change when you can already have access? Yeah. Um, But speaking about re-releases, before we wrap everything up, um, something big just happened with The Weeknd. Remember, he put out Um, House of Balloons 10 years ago as of a couple of days ago. And he decided to re-release that album in its original form. So instead of Reworking re-releasing that. something with an update, what ended up happening in that case was he released a mixtape off of streaming, because streaming wasn't around yet, and um, releases it a year or so later with updated mixes, taking out samples that weren't cleared from like Aaliyah, mm-hmm. um, and then there's like a Fate Stay Night sample, which is super obscure. <laughs> um, but then. As of a couple of weeks ago, you know, he, he puts out a re-release of the original mixes because he's such a huge star now Yeah, that he was able to afford to pay those samples. Like, getting an Aaliyah sample cleared had to have cost <laughs> millions upon millions of dollars because that estate is notorious yeah. for not allowing people to do that. I, I'm glad that we're finally getting to the point where atypical practices are being accepted in the music industry. Because mm-hmm. um, Taylor Swift also is doing that thing where she's yeah. re-releasing on streaming she's with some reworked versions of originals. Um, which obviously that's not the same as the weekend situation. But all of this yeah. to say that I'm glad that popular music is getting to the point now where they're freeing themselves from the stranglehold of industry practices. Because mm-hmm. the music industry as a whole, by and large, is pretty disgusting, yep. um, I would say, which is why the accessibility of the internet musician is so good for mm-hmm. um, everybody. Everybody kind of it's wins, um, except for the music industry, but you know. Yeah, well, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the consumer wins, um, the artist wins. Um, well, and the, the music industry has to conform. Yeah. And which is a good thing because the music industry has been such a dominant force in what music has come out since the 50s. Oh yeah, with Motown yeah. especially. Yeah, like um, I mean, it's crazy. 
But if the music industry is controlling the music and not the other way around, you're at the point where the consumer and the artist are both hurt by it so adversely. Mm -hmm. um, so all of this to say that I just think it's really good that we were able to see a practice with Car Seat Headrest, with Alex G, with so many people that were doing the things they loved and following practices that were true to themselves. They were able to get the popular success, or at least enough success in their own communities, um, to where now we're seeing, you know, The Weeknd with his re-releases. We're seeing Taylor Swift with her rework songs. Uh, I think it's just really beautiful, uh, and I think it's to the point now where if you're a consumer or if you're an artist, there's no better time well, not with COVID, but getting out of COVID, mm -hmm. uh, there's no better time to be a musician or a fan of music. Absolutely. Um, that's all the time we've got for today. Um, I've had a super great conversation here. Same here, same um, here. Braden Kimbra, uh, thank you for being on. Of course, thank you for having me, Seth. Yeah, this was an excellent conversation. Um, again, uh, I have a related Spotify playlist that I plug after every podcast. So if you're interested in listening to some of the music we've discussed or just sort of adjacent stuff, I will go ahead and let you know that it's just the same name. Seth Spins Season 3 on Spotify. You can find it there. Um, thank you for coming on. Uh, I'll thank see you, you guys next me. time. Of course. Peace out. Peace out, guys.